Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Business of Customer Love podcast, brought to you by Mention Me. I'm your host, Simeon Atkins, and thanks for joining us today. Growing your brand through customer love might seem like an idea that belongs in the company cafe rather than the boardroom. But identifying, growing, and activating a base of loyal fans is serious business, and the results of harnessing customer advocacy can be truly transformational for both your company and your customers. We gather experts from across the space to shine a light on how you can unleash a virtuous cycle of sustainable organic growth where your best customers keep coming back and bringing their friends too. So let's get into today's episode. So I'm delighted to be joined today by Natalie Nahai, keynote speaker, consultant and author. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here with you. So you're here today to talk about the secret psychology behind creating deeper, more impactful customer engagement. Before we dive in, though, do you want to give a quick introduction to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. So I work at the intersection of behavioral science, persuasive tech, consumer psychology, and I'm interested in how we can use business to meet combined goals. So where your values align with those of your customers, Mm. magic can happen. So the question is, how do we find out what people want, what they don't want? How do we forge better, more meaningful trust Uh, trustworthy relationships um, so that we can sustain business success into the long term. Fabulous. And this is an area that I'm particularly interested in myself. So I'm really looking forward to diving into this with you shortly. (laughs) Um, Before we get into that, though, as traditional on the show, to get things kicked off, I'd love for you to share a time recently where as a consumer, you experienced customer love firsthand and really what impact that had on you as a consumer. So I'm sure they get shouted out a lot for their good customer love practices. But Bloom and Wild is one of those companies that just for me always seems to get it right. I don't want to jinx it. But um, whenever there's a birthday of a loved one that's coming up, they not only remind me that it's coming up, they also often will give me quite a large percent off. And that's doing a double thing. So it's like utility. It's meeting a specific utilitarian need, which is I need to send a gift. They're making it easy for me so I don't have to look into my diary with enough notice that if I order something, it'll arrive on time. And then the added incentive of making me feel special by them offering me money off. So it's it's just hitting a lot of different layers and um, and they do that really well. Yeah, I'm not keeping a running tally, but Blue and Wild have uh, cropped up a couple of times. So if there was a, a table, a leader table on this, they would be top of that. But uh, you're right, they're doing some some fantastic stuff. We actually had the um, director of Customer Delight on um, a while back, and she gave some uh, some fabulous examples of what they're doing there. So uh, yeah, absolutely, always a good example. Um, now, to get things kicked off with us, the first thing I'd like to talk to you about is... Um, I guess, fundamentally, the process that we as consumers go through when we're making decisions, when we're looking at different brands or different products, how are we kind of thinking about this and processing this in our own minds? So there's different ways in which we make decisions. For the most part, we like to think that we're rational, we're deliberative, we weigh up things in a logical kind of objective fashion. The reality is, of course, that we're all pretty distracted. We've got a gazillion things we're trying to manage. And usually the way that we make decisions on who to buy from and what has a very strong emotional component. So if there's a brand that makes you laugh or that gives you a sense of delight, specifically on social media or in the shop, or through an email campaign like Bloom and Wild, you're much more likely not only to pause and remember that brand, you're more likely then to have a higher purchase intention. So if you can create a positive emotional state 
in the person that you're trying to reach. And then you can deliver and build a track record over time, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about later. Mm. Um, that's how you, you create that initial positive experience so that people are more open to buying from you. So focusing on the emotional quality of the interaction. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, and I want to pick up on something you mentioned there around creating touch points with customers that inject a level of humor to form a positive emotional state. I mean, it's certainly something I haven't encountered much, if at all, from brands I interact with. And it seems like a really good way to make your communication stand out from the crowd. Yeah, and especially when you're not expecting it. Like, you know, there was... Um... There's a perfect opportunity around April Fool's in the UK and in other countries that celebrate that to send something out that's tongue in cheek, if it's appropriate to the brand and really take a little bit of a risk. So if people, often people don't want to take those risks because they think that the timing isn't right, the audience might not like it. But when you have a cultural context and a holiday within which it's more permissible, mm. that's a great starting point to start playing with some of these potential um, approaches. And so, you know, it's kind of finding an entry point to see if it will work for you. And often you're surprisingly finding that it does. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, trust. Obviously, as consumers, trust <laughs> is is key for us. Um, and I'd love to get your take on how you think brands can start to build trust with their customers. And if you have any examples of companies that you've seen this uh, doing this particularly well. <laughs> yeah, trust is a big one, isn't it? When you look at the research, no matter what kind of relationship structure you're exploring, whether it's, you know, a relationship between partners, family members, friends, co-workers, or between a brand and their customers, trust is the single most important ingredient for the development and maintenance of he healthy, thriving, well-functioning relationships. And one of the things that we often forget when we're trying to build trust, especially between brands and customers, is that it's not just about feeling safe and understood and enabled to reach your goals. It's also how do you express respect for the customer by giving them information that might be unpalatable, but that's necessary for them to know. And that's crucial because trust online, the proxy for it often shows up as transparency. And so you've got to think, okay, if you've got a price increase coming up and Netflix, although it's a complex example, as many of these are, they do do this very well. So if there's a price increase coming up, they will tell you what the price increase is, what the new amount is you're going to have to pay, why they're doing it. And then the call to action might just be a button that says, okay. And they'll include the link to be able to go directly to your account settings to unsubscribe if you want to. So it's, it's that um, willingness to give people information so they are in the driving seat. They have the ability to choose what's best for them. Um, another example would be WISE. So that currency exchange, they have a leaderboard that is updated very frequently, showing the performance between themselves and their competitors. And mm. usually they're sort of somewhere in the top three, but sometimes I'll go on and I'll see that they're third or fourth down the list occasionally. Um, but because there's a track record there and I like their user experience and I like the rapidity of their service and they bother to show me the information up front, there's that kind of bank of trust that makes me willing to take a slight hit in order to use a service that I actually have some faith in. So again, it's, it can go a long way, making sure that you bake into your process a way to respectfully deliver less palatable information to your customers. Yeah, it seems like there's a real opportunity there actually for brands. If there's, um, you know, as you said, some news that they need to kind of break to their customers, which might not be particularly palatable or, or nice to hear, there's actually an opportunity <laughs> to strengthen that relationship 
which is quite interesting. Yeah. We, we had a guest on a while ago and he was um, he was giving an example of a brand and their, one of their missions was to make their complaint process fun. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I really and I really quite like that because it's, you know, again, it's not a it's not anything that you want to necessarily have to go through. But if you can right. if you can actually make that process somehow enjoyable and actually yeah. use that as an opportunity to strengthen your relationship with the customers, then you've really got an opportunity there to kind of elevate yourself as a brand. So I think, as you were saying there, it's hmm. using these opportunities that might not on paper seem particularly pleasant and they might not be, yeah. but actually using that as a chance to strengthen your relationship with customers. Yeah, HubSpot did an amazing um a thing with that i remember years ago now i don't know how it is currently but when you unsubscribed they posted a really funny video that was very tongue-in-cheek so at least if you choose to like unsubscribe from them for whatever reason you're left smiling even if you don't go back it's like oh they made the effort they care because a lot of people won't make the effort because we prefer to avoid unpleasant feelings unpleasant information but if you show that you're willing to go there that shows an extra level of care and appreciation which will be memorable hopefully for the right reasons yeah, absolutely. And I think intertwined with this is this idea of authenticity. And again, I'd love to get your take on um, the impact that authenticity has on us as consumers and how brands can fundamentally be more authentic. Yeah, so authenticity is a tricky one because it gets banded about a lot. Um, but essentially what it refers to is our ability to represent who we are, whether it's the brand or the business um, and the story that we carry and the values that we espouse with clarity and also in a way that has integrity. And so if you can communicate your brand, your values, the way that you work, clearly it's going to improve the receptivity people have to your message. They're going to perceive your content and communications as greater quality, and it's going to increase purchase intention. And there's some really interesting research around those things. But what do you do in order to increase your authenticity? It's not just about kind of giving it lip service. In the research for my book, Business Unusual, which looks at you know, ways in which brands can build resilience, I developed a model called the four C's model, which looks at building integrity through A, making a commitment to certain moral principles or ethics or values, being congruent over time in terms of word and deed. You know, are you walking the talk? Are you making sure that you're actually enacting what you say you're going to enact? Are you being consistent? Are you building a track record so that if someone looks at the way that you're behaving five years ago, it's consistently built upon over those five years since. Mm -hmm. So they say, okay, this person has been doing this for a while and we can see there's a track record. And finally, is there a coherence between intention and action? Are they doing the right things for the right reason? What's the motivation? And that's when the kind of the BS detector is particularly salient because folks, especially those who are younger, who know the areas around um, social justice much more int intimately, they know stats, they know what they're looking for, they'll be able to tell much more quickly if a brand, when it comes to integrity, is being coherent and doing the right thing for the right reasons, or if they're just re re uh, like responding to a trend and getting on the bandwagon because it's seen as socially um, sort of suicidal if you don't. So that sort of four-step process, commitment, congruence, consistency, and coherence, they're really ways in which you can build your authenticity and make sure that you're, you're kind of on the right track based on the values that you would like to express in the world. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and in your opinion, as you said, authenticity is something that gets banded around a lot. Um, and you fundamentally think us as consumers, we do prioritize authenticity when we are looking at brands. You think that's a, you, do you think that's an important trait that brands should be focusing on? 
I think I think it is. I think the place where brands often fall down to two areas is kind of it's very easy these days to create a glossy looking, persuasive, um, captivating brand and then fall short on either the kind of the structure of the business, supply chains, um, the organizational structure, whether people who are working for you, whether in house or like, you know, in, in factories abroad, if it's a physical product, whether they're being treated fairly and um, well. So there's kind of often a mismatch between the glossy performative story that we receive as consumers and the nuts and bolts of how a brand actually conducts their business. So I think that's the key area that's really important to look at. Um, and in some of the conversations I've had recently with a few folks in this sort of domain, you tend to find that brands that have a longer sort of business plan that want to be around in 5, 10, 15 years will grow more slowly in order to be able to get all of those key things in place. There are brands who just want to kind of pop up, make a fast buck and then disappear again. Authenticity is not important necessarily to those players. Perceived authenticity will be. So there'll be a lot of attention paid to marketing messages, influencers, etc. But it's quite a flimsy structure that if you prod it will quite quickly collapse. So I always advocate for the longer, more robust foundational building up of integrity and authenticity. So make sure you're kind of baking into the DNA of your organization, those public facing marketing messages so that everything is coherent. Very interesting. Um, so I want to talk about this uh, idea or the principle of uh, homophily and how <laughs> that is central to something like customer advocacy, the role it plays there. So homophilia is about kind of the idea of birds of a flo feather flock together. I'm really flouncing my Fs and stuff today. Anyway, yeah, it's this idea that we tend to know and love and trust that which is similar to us. So it could be that maybe, you know, if you're abroad and you're, you're traveling and you meet someone from the same country or you're out and about and you see someone who's got a similar taste in clothing, it could be even something as arbitrary as sharing the same birth month as someone. We are social species and we tend to sort of prefer points of similarity when we're making choices about who to buy from, who to be friends with, etc. And the way that this plays out is that if you are presenting customers with a brand or influencers that appear similar to the, the audience you're trying to reach, then whatever it is that you're saying to them, whether it's a marketing message or an endorsement or whatever it is, the audience is going to perceive your message as more trustworthy and reliable and credible simply because they see the similarity between you and between them. And so it's about finding out in a kind of careful, compassionate, interested, qualitative way, what are the things, what are the values, the preferences and the context of the audience you're trying to reach? Do they align with yours? Where are the points of similarity? And then how do you transmit that in the marketing communications that you put out into the world? So a great example that I love, um, Louise Boyce, who has an account on Instagram called Mama Still Got It. She's very funny and she's a model and also just an amazing comedian. Actually, I don't know if she'd call herself that, but I appreciate her comedy. And she has kind of like this dual personality that she brings to bear on her Instagram channel where you see kind of like you know the glossy red carpet model and then right next to that she'll have next to kind of the, the beautifully made up glamorous version of herself she'll have like the 
I just rolled out of bed. This is what I look like without any makeup. This is what my life is like with my small kids in a family where there's lots of mess. And it's this kind of split screen, on the one hand, this sort of aspirational version, the picture perfect, put next to this kind of chaotic, um, you know, family life that many folks with family can relate to, that makes her messaging so compelling, so funny, and so relatable. And there are brands that can play with this that do it well. And so it's kind of finding that sweet spot the aspiration and the reality, bringing those two things together so that you can communicate that you understand both the reality and the aspirations of your target audience. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. Um, just making brands <laughs> feel like they actually understand their consumers and actually relate yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Um, the second principle that I wanted to discuss with you was around self-determination. Um, and again, what that is and what uh, impact and how that's central to something like customer advocacy. Yeah, so this is one of my favorites because it goes so far beyond, you know, the consumer brand relationship and bleeds into not only our personal lives, but our community lives. So self-determination was proposed by two psychologists, Ryan and Desi, and they essentially put forward the idea that we have three fundamental psychological needs and that these are needs that you find in humans throughout the globe that they're universal they're innate and they're essential to our flourishing and if we're able to meet these needs over the course of our lifetime we have a greater sense of well-being of flourishing of meaning so like these are substantive principles and so the framework for self-determination looks at these three core things and how we can find ways to meet these needs so the first need is for autonomy Back to the point around, you know, the example with Netflix and why is it's how do you give your customers the information, the tools, whatever they need to be in the driving seat? How do you give them kind of an experience where they're not being forced or coerced on a particular user journey, but you're, you're nudging them in a way that they still have choice, that they are the ones making the decisions? That's the first one. The second one is around competence. So that's kind of the utilitarian side, this, this desire to be able to achieve the goals that are meaningful to us. So if you're a company, um, one that I quite like the example of Warby Parker, it's a you know, glasses company in the States. If you're a company who knows during the lockdowns that your customers can't get into the stores and they need to be able to buy glasses that fit because they need to be able to see, what do you do? Well, the competence principle dictates that you've got to make it easy for them to achieve the goals that are meaningful, i.e. getting some glasses, without putting themselves at risk. They develop an app. They have, you know, everyone's got, most people have got a phone. They can take a cheeky selfie. And you've got augmented reality that shows you which glasses are going to fit best your face. So competence, it's fun, and it fulfills that particular need. That's the second need. The third need for self-determination is around our desire to belong. So to feel like we are accepted and loved and safe and appreciated by the people that we care about. And this, alongside trust, is one of the strongest predictors of a healthy relationship. So it's really from a brand perspective, figuring out how do you cultivate this sense of community, inclusivity and belonging with your target audience. You do not have to be all things to all people, but you do have to know who you're reaching out for and be very um clear about where there are people you may have unintentionally missed so that you can include them in the conversation. We all have biases that come into play all the time. The trick is to be um, compassionate to ourselves and then outward in our focus to figure out where might we have missed people that actually would be wonderful to connect with. So those three needs, competence, belonging and autonomy 
those are the three that we really have to be able to satisfy in order to cultivate good customer brand relationships. Fabulous. Um, Natalie, we've covered some amazing ground today. <laughs> um, we've obviously spoken about a lot of principles that are core to customer advocacy. I guess just to kind of wrap everything up, um, it'd be good to get your take on you know, why you think brands should be focusing on something like customer advocacy when it comes down to growing their business. Why should they be prioritizing this as a strategy moving forward? So when we're talking about advocacy, we're basically talking about someone who will put a little bit on the line to stand up for something that they believe in. That's kind of the idea. At least that's how I frame it. And so if I've got, and especially when I have personally to me, sort of certain values around wanting to be able to have a lower footprint, um, to buy into brands that are helping for the flourishing of life on earth. Like if I advocate for a company, my personal integrity is on the line, um, especially if I'm communicating my advocacy for a company to my friends, because I want to look good in the eyes of my friends. I don't want to give them terrible recommendations. And so customer advocacy, it's a higher bar for people making recommendations that have a higher risk attached to them, that are therefore more meaningful. And when you look at the data, we know that still, even in the world of social media, and perhaps especially with fake news and the rest of it and all the misinformation that's out there, that still it's the analog word of mouth, all the one-to-one virtual word of mouth through WhatsApp groups and what have you, that is the most persuasive when it comes to getting people to try a brand that they've never tried before. And people talk. So it's kind of, if you can get people to advocate for your brand because they care about the experience they've had, you've made them feel special, you've helped them to achieve their goals, then they will take that risk and introduce you to their friends in order to, you know, give other people the kind of positive quality of experience that you've had. So it's really the gold star Mm. (laughs) among all of the advertising and marketing techniques that you can hope to um, engage in. Of course, it's a bit harder to measure analog advocacy. There are proxies for that, WhatsApp, social media, the rest of it. But it is, it is nonetheless the golden standard that people should be aiming for because it's the hardest and the most meaningful to attain. Natalie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's been great. You've been listening to the Business of Customer Love podcast hosted by Mention Me. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to join us next time where we'll be speaking to some more amazing guests about how you can harness the power of customer love. See you again soon.